Revelation chapter 14 tonight. We're going to conclude Revelation 14. Um, we still got a little ways to go, um, but it's, I don't know, maybe maybe another uh, 10 or 12 weeks or something like that, probably in the book of Revelation. I, I, I was looking at the calendar, but I didn't count the days. Um, so I've got it planned out, but I just, I can't remember exactly how long it's going to be. So um, we still got a little ways to go to finish the book, but the good news is that um, it's it's moving at a pretty rapid pace, and Jesus wins at the end. So we got a good ending. Uh, it's gonna it's it, we still got some stuff to work through to get there, but um, but at least we know that the end is is good. So um, Revelation chapter fourteen tonight we'll be looking in verses fourteen through twenty. So if you're able to stand with me as we read God's word, Revelation 14, 14 through 20. Then I looked and behold, a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. And the wine press was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the wine press as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. Pray with me. Father, I pray that your word would dig deep into our hearts, that you would break apart the rocks, clear all the weeds and thorns and briars and bristles, that our soil may be good for your word to grow in. Father, help us. Help us to live your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. We have some reaping going on tonight. In fact, if you if you like to put a title with your sermon, this title is Reap, because <laughs> that's what they're doing. In Revelation 14, we, we at the end of the chapter, through the chapter, we've seen the Lamb, and he is standing on top of Mount Zion with the 144,000 in his glory. And we, we see who those 144,000 are. They are the ones that are devoted to him, who are following him where he goes, doing what he calls them to do. And as soon as he sees them, there's an angel that flies overhead and he sees in succession three different angels that are calling out with three different messages all related. The first one reminding us to fear God and give him glory reminding us to respond to who God is by thinking of him in the right kind of way. We saw a second angel fly overhead, yelling out, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, calling us to recognize that, that the judgment of God is falling on his enemies. We saw a third angel call out that whoever is worshiping the beast and receiving the mark is the one who is facing this judgment. A call to recoil away from the, the constant pressure to bend to society's whim and to worship false gods, to take the mark, to do the things 
that are part of idolatry. A call to recoil from that, but a call to endure patiently with Christ, putting our faith in him, keeping God's commandments, realizing that the blessing comes on those who are faithful to the end. Now, we see that judgment take place. Now, there's two different... In apocalyptic literature, often there's two different scenes that are going on. There's the scene on earth and there's the scene in heaven. This is the heavenly view of the judgment that is to come. This is not the earthly view. It's not going to get into the details of what happens on earth. What this is telling us is the heavenly perspective. He's giving us a look in glory at what's going on. Later, um, we'll see, when we see the battle of Armageddon, we'll see what's happening in the battle on earth. But this gives us a picture of the, the celestial scene that takes place during that battle. And so we have two reapers. First, reaper is found in verses 14 through 16. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Now, now, I'm, I'm going to make a statement. Some, some scholars have disagreed with this, um, but I'm going to show you why I believe this is the case. This appears to be Jesus. And the reason I know that is because I don't know of anyone else in the scripture that is called one like a son of man but Jesus himself. This is the title that's used in Daniel chapter 7 to talk about Christ. Christ, uh, one like a son of man coming before the throne and he sits on the throne with God and reigns. And so this picture in Daniel 7 that, that John is riffing off of and, and using, not, not necessarily copycatting, but linking back to. In our day, we have hyperlinks. You go on a website, you can link something to take to another site. So on our website, we have links to different things. Some of them are within the website. Some of them are other websites. So we link to the local association. We link to the Southern Baptist Convention and the Baptist Faith and Message. We link to, on one page, we actually, uh, every now and then we'll, we have a, we have different ministries that we partner with, um, that we help support through tithes and offerings. That we will, periodically change that on the website so you can see some of the things that your money goes towards. We link to them. So right now it's the River Region Pregnancy Center. And so we link to there. You can you can look at that, click on it, and it will take you to their website. Those hyperlinks, you don't have those hyperlinks in Bible times because you don't have websites and you don't have that kind of thing. So you have to hyperlink a different way. The way they would hyperlink is they would use the same language. They would use, they would use something that sounds very familiar. That one like a son of man, that's a hyperlink. Taking you back to Daniel chapter seven. You'll see another hyperlink in here. We're gonna, we're gonna be in the book of Joel in a little bit, uh, because he's gonna hyperlink back to that book. I'll show you that in a few minutes. But the reason I know this is Jesus, one of them is because of the hyperlinks. He's sitting on a cloud. He's one like a son of man. In fact, Daniel 7.13 says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. It rips off both of those in, in Daniel 7. He's, he's pulling that in. And of course, the vision that he's seeing, he's writing it down. But as he's writing it, the way that he writes is influenced by the things that have been written before because he sees the connections coming together. And he wants us, his readers, to see those connections too. 
So, so he's one like a son of man. He came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and it continues on that he's given power and glory and all those things. We also see something interesting. He's crowned. He has a golden crown on his head. Now there's two types of crowns in scripture. There's the diadem and the stephanos. The diadem is the royal crown. The stephanos is the victor's crown. What's interesting about this is it's the victor's crown. It's not the royal crown. And so normally that would, I mean, all kinds of people. The beast wears a victor's crown. But here, we have this individual wearing a victor's crown before the battle even begins. In fact, do you remember, do you remember before he was crucified that the soldiers put a crown of thorns on Jesus' head? That wasn't a diadem. That was a Stephanos. That was a victor's crown. The irony of a victor's crown made of thorns that's, that's causing him to bleed and suffer and have pain. The irony was it really was a victor's crown because when Christ was bleeding, when Christ was suffering, when Christ was on that cross dying for our sins, he was winning victory not only over sin, but eventually a couple days later would secure the victory even over death. So he was the victor. The ironic thing was they were actually crowning him as the victor, even though they were trying to mock him even though they were trying to despise him, even though they were trying to put him down, it turned out that really was a victor's crown. Then there's the angelic command. Now, this, this has us a little bit of questioning in verse 15. How can an angel command Jesus? <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of funny. In Scripture, you can command someone without really commanding them. Think about the time that you pray and you ask God, or you tell God, because you're not really asking him to, you're telling him, heal this person. Are you commanding God? Better not be. <laughs> Let me put it that way. You better not be. It's, it's more of an entreaty, isn't it? It's asking him, but, but it kind of uses the words, the, the language of command. But the attitude isn't of command. The attitude is of asking, of requesting of humbly presenting your petition, hoping that he will agree to fulfill it. That's what I think is going on here. I think the angel is calling him not because he's commanding you need to do this, but he's just saying now's the time. The, the authority has been given from the father himself, and I'm delivering the message. You ever, you ever uh, when you have kids, you ever tell your kids, one of your kids to tell another one of your kids something that you command? Go tell your brother or go tell your sister, I said. I was working a couple months ago and um, we, I was doing fries and I put, we had this, we had this thing that um, the fry boxes would go on and up underneath it was a spot that was just perfect for putting that, that fry scoop. And so I put that fry scoop under there and Miss Linda, Miss Linda is like the GM of the restaurant. Um, she's got, you know, there's Daniel and then there's Linda, okay? She's right below, right below the owner. She said, don't do that. <laughs> so I can't do that anymore. And then she said, make sure you tell other people not to do that either. And I said, well, I'll try, but there's no guarantee people will listen to me. She said, you tell them Linda said so, they'll listen. Sure enough, they listened. <laughs> It's that kind of, it's that kind of a command thing. I imagine the angel has just been standing in front of the, the Holy One, the, the, the God the Father Himself, standing in His presence, and the Father has said, go tell my son. I said it's time. 
And so the angel goes and tells the son, it's time. This isn't a command from the angel to the one like a son of man. This is a command from the father delivered by his messenger, the angel. And so in verse 15, look at the command. And another angel came out of the temple, coming from God's presence, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come. It's time for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. It's time. This is this language of reaping is the language of a wheat harvest. And so, verse 16, he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was reaped. I don't know if you've ever had to reap. Reaping, um, well, I've never had to, but it looks like it's really hard. Y'all ever reap? Those of you who are here. We've got Robert and Barbara are here and then Jim is here and me. So um, if you've ever reaped, put a sickle to something, um, let me know how hard it is, but I imagine it's pretty hard. But he reaps, he swings that sickle and reaps the earth. A picture of judgment. And it's also a picture that goes back to Joel. I said we would be in the book of Joel. Joel chapter three, God is setting up. He is prophesying through Joel about what's going to happen in those latter days. They are, he is going to gather the nations together in the valley of Jehoshaphat. The valley of God will judge. And listen to what he says. Proclaim this among the nations. Consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. Do you get what's going on here? He's saying, oh, muster all your strength. Get everything together. In, in 1940s America, during the war, during World War II, America became a war machine. Everything across the nation virtually was all about war. Either it was you buying bonds to help support the war, or it was you manufacturing objects to be used in war, or it was you going on the front lines of battle in the war. Everything in America was all centered around being a war machine. God says to the whole earth, y'all get yourselves ready because we're going to have a fight. We're going to have a battle. Get ready. Turn all your plowshares into swords. Get it. Get ready. Get every piece of equipment you can. Get every person you can muster and get down here because we're going to go at it. Now, um, when God says, come fight me, it's probably best to say, oh, no, I surrender, <laughs> right? And the nations of the world aren't that smart. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves down there. Bring down your warriors, O oh Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. What's great about this is God musters them. He calls them all and they all come to that one place. What could go wrong? It's just the place of judgment. Verse 13, put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread for the wine press is full. The vats overflow for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Now, I say this smiling because of the irony. Men think that they can gather themselves against God. And God says, go ahead and gather. 
it's really not a happy thing. It's really a devastating thing. The judgment of God isn't something to laugh at. There's a second reaper. Verse 17, then another angel came out of the temple of heaven. He comes from God's presence too. That The angel that, that issues the command to the one like a son of man, he's he comes from the temple. Well, the second angel comes from the temple. And it's not really a second angel because remember, we've been seeing angels all throughout this chapter. There's angel after angel after angel. It's just constantly, it's almost like, it's almost like God is mustering every single of the heavenly host, every single angelic being he can find, and they all are having a role, having a, a, a spot to play, a position to fill in fulfilling God's commands. It's almost as if all of heaven's armies are doing the work of God. Imagine what it would be like if the church would help them out. Imagine what it would be like if we as the church were solely committed to doing what God is telling us to do, committed to fighting for Him, committed to living out His kingdom in our world. Imagine the kind of difference that it can make when the kingdom of God is fully incorporated into us. To go back to this morning, it's almost as if he's telling us, hey, all the angels are on board. Are you on board too? The second angel in this passage comes out of the temple and he also has a sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, one who has authority over the fire. So not only do you have these angels that are, that are giving the messages of God and these angels who are, who are part of the plan, who are fulfilling the purpose of God in one particular way or another. They're all over this book of Revelation. You also have even the one who is in charge of the sacrifices on the altar in the heavenly temple. The one who is burning incense before the Father himself. Even he's getting involved in the action. And he comes out and he calls out with a loud voice, to the one who had the sharp sickle. Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. This imagery, he's, he's copying this imagery. He's, he's repeating this imagery so that we can see it. Do you remember back in verse 8 of the chapter, he's talking about Babylon the Great, how Babylon the Great has fallen, this angel, and, and it mentions that, that Babylon the Great made all the nations drink the wine of her passion. Do you remember that? And then, and then he kind of riffs off that and shows that the wine that they're actually drinking is the wine of the wrath of God a little bit later. Now we have a, a, a little bit of an insight into the wine being made. He says, gather all the grapes, put them into the wine press. God's going to make some wine. Both this wheat harvest picture and this grape harvest picture point us toward judgment. It shows us a couple of things about the judgment. Number one, it shows us that it's a complete judgment. Just as he gathers both the wheat and the grapes, God's judgment finds all. You see, Christians, we like to think we're not going to be judged by God, but we actually do face judgment. It's just that our judgment, our judgment is in light of the cross. And so it's not a question of heaven or hell. It's a question of what do we have to give to God that will last? Um, to put, to put it into agricultural terms, God's burning away the dross. He's, 
He's, he's getting rid of the junk. He's separating all that out. What's left? When you go through the fire of purification, what is it that's left? The question for us isn't heaven or hell. The question for us is how much do you have left after the judgment? How much of what you do matters for eternity and how much of it is junk that just gets burned away? But for the non-Christian, for the unbeliever, the question is, the question is totally different. It's not even a question. It's hell. There's just no way around it. This, this judgment is complete. It's not like there's some special category of folks, even some of the most basic things that we think of. Are, is he tall or short? Well, he's kind of in between. He's not really tall, but he's not really short. He, you know, we have those kinds of things. We have some people that are born with various issues. There, there are all kinds of different things that kind of make them weird cases, cases where they don't easily fit into a category, cases where they don't easily delineate one way or another. We have, we have a lot of ambiguity in life. There's no ambiguity here. It's clear cut. It's complete judgment, one or the other. You're either for him or you're against him. Just like you either have the mark of the beast or you have the mark of the Christ. It's one or the other. There's no in-between. There's no special case where God's got to figure out, well, I'm not quite sure what to do with you. (laughs) You know, it doesn't work that way. His judgment's full. The other thing that this passage shows us is in verse 20. It shows us the carnage. Verse 20 says, and the wine press was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the wine press as high as a horse's bridle for 1600 stadia. It's unclear whether he means that it was that high for that far, or whether it was just that high at its highest point and it extended out that far. By the way, 1600 stadia would be about 184 miles of length. Um, if you're looking at a map of Israel, Go from the very top to the very bottom. That's about how far that is. The picture is the whole land covered in blood. That's a complete judgment, y'all. I could give you the math, but I, I think that picture just does everything we need, doesn't it? This, this judgment of God is complete and it's final and the carnage from it will be very great, which once again calls us to the question, two questions. First, is that you? Are you facing that judgment because you haven't surrendered to Christ? Or maybe it's not you. Maybe it's someone you know. What are you going to do about it? Church, I'm convinced more than ever that people are desperate, desperate to hear the gospel. You might think, oh, well, nobody I know wants to hear about Jesus. Believe me, there's plenty of folks who do. Let's do everything we can. Let's do everything we can to tell them. Because right now, Right now, there's no, there's no trumpets blowing. There's no, there's no seals breaking. There's no bowls being poured out. There's, there's no judgment, no final judgment as of yet. We have time, but I don't know how much we have. So let's do what we need to do to represent our Christ before the world. Father, um, it's somber, but it's a good reminder that your judgment is coming. And Lord, we, we need to take you seriously. We need to take you seriously personally because some some folks sat hearing my voice today, some folks watching this, some some may be sitting there 
knowing that they don't know you, knowing that they've never given their heart to you, knowing that they would face this judgment. If it happens while they're on earth, they would be subject. And they know that. They may try to hide it. They may try to run away from it. They may try to try to reconcile it in some kind of way, but they really know that they face, they face judgment. Father, I pray that you would stir their hearts to repent of their sins because that's what's, that's what's earning their judgment. That's what's bringing them out of reconciliation with you. That's, that's what makes them sinful is their own sinful nature, acting out their own passions and desires, fulfilling their own lust, seeking to, to do their own thing. Even if they're quote unquote good people, even if they're not being really, really bad, God, they still need you because they're still sinners. And Father, I pray that you would move them to put their trust and faith in you. Father, for those of us who are redeemed sinners, I pray that your word would change us, would shape us. I pray that your word would be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I pray that your word would not just give us peace, that we're not going to be judged in, the, in this kind of way, but Father would also give us urgency to reach out to those who might be, those around us who don't know you, those around us who are asking the questions, who are, who are seeking the answers, those around us who do not know and do not even know that they don't know sometimes. Father, I pray that we would be your witnesses and we would bring glory and honor to your name. Father, help us take this judgment seriously and help us act. Help us act with the zeal of a young man, with the heart of a mother, the discipline of a good father. God, give us the things that we need, the opportunities that we ask for, and the courage to take them. Help us honor you. In your name, your redeeming name, we pray. Amen.